Chapter Nine of Around the Campfire by Charles Roberts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine: The Last Campfire, Part One. We got away from Detour du Lac in the early morning and reached the outlet, the head of the Madawaska River, after a brisk paddle of some eight miles the run down the matawaska was swift and easy a rapid current and a clear channel what more could canoemen wish late in the afternoon we pitched tent on a woody hill half a mile above edmonston to signalize our return to civilization we visited the hotel and post office and then returned to camp for tea the fire blazed right merrily that night and to ward off melancholy thoughts we told stories as usual boys said stranion i've saved for this last night in camp the one that i count choicest of all my yarns the scene of it lies on those very waters which we have lately passed through name demanded i sharpening my pencil with a business air just uh, indian devils replied stranion it was a scorching noon in mid-july of eighteen eighty five dear old h and i were in camp on the upper waters of the squatook not far below the mouth of beardsley brook how h loved to get away from his professorial dignity and freely unbend in the woods he used to swear he would never again put on a starched collar but his big american university keeps him prim enough now we had called a halt for dinner and siesta in a small sandy cove where the river eddied listlessly it was a hollow between high banks down which drew a soft breeze as through a funnel and the deep grass fringing the tiny beach was densely shadowed by a tangle of vines and branches our birch canoe was behind us her resined sides well shaded from the heat at the water's edge flickered the remnants of our fire paled and browbeaten by the steady downpour of sunshine the stream itself for a wonder grown drowsy idled over its pebbly bed with a sleep-inducing murmur while we were thus idling and dreaming i was startled wide awake by the grating of a paddle on a line of gravelly shoals above the point a moment more and a birch canoe swept into view and drew up at our landing-place the crew two youngish-looking indians having lifted their craft out of the water stalked silently up the beach and paused before us leaning on their paddles with a non-committal grunt they accepted some proffered tobacco glanced over our baggage eyed greedily the bright nickel plating on our trout rods and murmured something in melicheet which i failed to comprehend the professor somewhat annoyed at this intrusion blinked sleepily at them for a while and then proceeded to sort and stow away his latest acquired specimens amongst which were some splendid bits of pyrites glittering richly in the sun one of our visitors was not unknown to me he was a certain joe tobin of ill repute hailing from francis village the other was an older-looking man with high cheekbones and little pig-like half-shut eyes the appearance of neither had any attraction for me but the indian with the pig-like eyes i found particularly distasteful these eyes grew intent at once as they caught the yellow gleam of the pyrites but their owner preserved his air of stoical indifference approaching the professor's side he sought a closer examination but the professor was not propitiatory he dumped the ore into his specimen box before the indian could touch it 
and shifting the box deeper into the shade he took his seat upon it the box was plainly heavy and a gleam of interest crept into the cunning eyes of joe gold maybe he suggested persuasively to which the professor facetiously grumpy answered yeah all gold fool's gold at this a most greedy glance passed furtively between the indians and it flashed upon me that by the barbaric ear fool's gold might be misinterpreted to full of gold i gave the rash professor a warning look which joe intercepted i then proceeded to explain what was meant by fool's gold and declared that the things in the professor's box were valueless bits of rock which we had picked up chiefly out of curiosity this statement however as i could see by our visitors faces was at once regarded as a cunning and cautious lie to conceal the vast value of our treasure whereabouts you got em queried joe again oh answered the professor there's lots of it floating around mud lake and beardsley brook he took a lively cluster of crystals out of his pocket and laughed to see how the indian's eyes stuck out with deluded avarice i felt angry at his nonsense for one of our visitors was an out-and-out -out ruffian in a few moments after a series of low grunts which baffled my ear completely though i was acquainted with the melicheet tongue the indians turned to go saying in explanation of their sudden departure sugar-lore fort sundown maybe i took the precaution to display at this juncture a double-barrelled breech-loader into which i slipped a couple of buckshot cartridges and as i nodded them a bland farewell i said in melicheet it'll be late when we get to sugar-loaf the start they gave on hearing me speak their own language confirmed my suspicions and they paddled off in haste without more words no sooner were they well out of sight than i made ready with all speed for our own departure nor did i neglect to upbraid the professor for his rashness at first he pooh-poohed my apprehension declaring that it was fun to fool the greedy hottentots but when i explained my grounds for alarm he condescended to treat them with some respect he warmed up indeed and made haste so that we were once more darting along with the racing current before the indians had been gone above ten minutes but i could see that he had adopted my suspicions mainly for the sake of an added excitement the professor's classroom afforded too little scope for such an adventurous spirit and he was beginning to crave the relish of a spice of peril with his dainty rifle just to his hand he was soon plying a fervent and effective paddle while his sharp eyes kept a lookout which i knew very little would evade our design was to press so closely upon the rascal's heels that any plot they might agree upon should not find time to mature we knew they would never calculate upon our following them so promptly still less would they dream of the speed that we were making in a fair race we flattered ourselves that we could beat most indians and we rather counted on overtaking and passing this couple before they could accomplish aught against us there was one point in the stream however which i remembered with misgivings three or four miles ahead of us were the rapids which you remember we had such fun with a few days ago i suggested to h that there if anywhere those indians would lie in wait for us knowing that our hands would be well occupied in navigating the canoe those five miles soon slipped by 
as we shot down the roaring channel we saw in the reach beyond the last turmoil a canoe thrust in among the alders ah exclaimed the professor in a tone of deepening conviction and he shifted his grip upon his rifle an instant more and we were in the surges just then i saw the professor start half raising his rifle to the shoulder but the canoe was taking all my attention and i dared not follow his glance to shoreward our delicate craft seemed to wallow down the roaring trough the stream was much heavier than we found it the other day i can tell you at the foot of the first chute a great thin-crested ripple slapped over us i had understood the professor's gesture and as we plunged down the next leap i chuckled to myself sold this time like a bird the true little craft took the plunge one more blinding dash of spray a shivering pause and darting forward arrow-like she dipped to the last and steepest descent at this instant from the bank overhead came a spurt of blue smoke and a report followed by a twinge in my left shoulder another report scarcely audible amid the fall's thunder and cleaving the last great ripple we swept into gentler currents crack 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 went the professor's little rifle as he fired over his shoulder at the place where the smoke puffs clung i said push on before they can load again dropping my paddle as we passed their empty canoe i put two charges of buckshot through her birchen sides then satisfied that the mending of this breach would keep our enemy wholesomely occupied for some time we pushed forward swiftly in grim triumph a few miles farther on i stopped and informed the professor that i was wounded at this he turned about in such sudden concern that he barely missed upsetting the canoe but he presently remarked by the healthy vigor you've displayed in running away the last half hour i don't imagine the wound can be serious on examination we found that a bullet had nicked the top of my shoulder though not so deeply but that cold water and some strips of sticking plaster went far toward giving relief from pain but the muscular action of paddling caused the scratch to become inflamed and so when at about four in the afternoon we swept out on the smooth waters of the lake i gave up the stern paddle to the professor and played invalid a while in the bow a light breeze to which we hoisted our sail took us pleasantly down the lake and about half-past six we landed near the outlet we tented just where camp de squatook stood a few days ago under the lulling influence of a supper of fresh fried trout the savor of which mixed deliciously with the wholesome scent of the pines we concluded that perhaps by this time our enemies would have given up the pursuit disgusted by their past failure and the damage done to their canoe nevertheless we resolved to take thorough precautions lest our adversaries should cross the head of the lake and come upon us by night we built a huge fire so that it shone upon the landing-place and lighted up every way of approach by water the tent stood out in the full glare to the rear and a little to one side beyond the limits of the grove in the densest part of the thicket we fixed ourselves a snug and secret couch whence we could command a view of the whole surroundings close by we arranged a pile of bark with kindling and dry balsamic pine chips such as we could urge into a sudden blaze in case of any emergency 
immediately behind us was the water and from that side we felt that we were safe so long as that glare of firelight should be maintained we fixed up the camp to look natural and secure hung our wet clothes to dry on the cheap lachlagon closed the tent door for the night to keep out the mosquitoes and retired not dissatisfied to our covert it was a dark and almost starless night with a soft rainy wind soughing in the pine tops and making the big squatook wash restlessly all down her pebbled beaches as we drew our weapons close to us and stretched ourselves luxuriously in our blankets we could not forbear a low laugh at a certain relish the situation held for us the professor however suddenly became serious and he declared but this lark's in the soberest kind of earnest anyway and we mustn't be letting ourselves tumble to sleep my shoulder gave an admonitory twinge and i cordially acquiesced just then a far-off howl of hideous laughter ending in a sob of distress came down the night wind making our flesh creep uncomfortably is that what the indians call glooskap's hunting dogs whispered the professor not by any means i answered under my breath well it ought to be returned the professor i replied that the voice in my opinion came from the dangerous northern panther or indian devil these animals i went on to explain for h s comfort were growing yearly more numerous in the squatook regions owing to the fact that the caribou their favorite prey were being driven hither from the south counties and from nova scotia just then the cry was repeated this time a little nearer and the professor began to inquire whether it was indian or indian devil about which we should have most call to concern ourselves his hope but half expressed was plainly for a whack at both i assured him that so long as the indian devil kept up his serenading we had little need to be troubled but should the scent of our fried trout be blown to his nostrils and divert his mind from thoughts of love to war then would it behoove us to be circumspect as we talked on thus in an undertone which was half drowned by the washing of the waves the panther's cry was heard much nearer than before and it was not again repeated this put us sharply on our guard hour after hour passed till we began to find it hard to keep awake only the weirdness of the place the strange noises which stole towards us from the depths of the forest dying out within a radius of a couple of hundred yards from the firelight together with our anxiety concerning the movements of the panther kept us from falling asleep the professor told some stories of the skill of western indians in creeping upon guarded posts and i retorted with examples of the cunning and ferocity of these northern indian devils once we were started into renewed vigilance by what seemed like a scratching or clawing on the bark of some tree near at hand but we heard no more of it when as near as we could guess it must have been well past midnight we began to be concerned at the lowness of our fire it had fallen to a mere red glow lighting up a circle of not more than twenty yards around the camp as for our covert it was now sunk in the outer darkness we considered the needs and risks of replenishing the fire and concluded that the risks were so far greater than the needs that our better plan was to stay where we were till morning 
if our enemies were upon our tracks then for either of us to approach the light would be to betray our stratagem besides furnishing a fair and convenient target while we felt tolerably sure that the panther was in some not distant tree waiting to drop according to his pleasant custom upon any one that should come within his reach these considerations made us once more satisfactorily wakeful and with straining our sight through the blackness our nerves got painfully on the stretch a bird stirred in the twigs above us and the professor whispered what's that then there was a trailing rustle of the dry leaves near our feet and with a sharp click and a jump of the pulse i brought my gun to full cock but two little points of green light close together which met my eyes for an instant told me that it was only a wood mouse which we heard scurrying away the professor whispered what was it disturbed the mouse he seemed in a hurry about something when he ran against us that way this was a point and we waited we were just about to hazard some guess allowing for an owl or polecat or other night prowler when the professor gripped my arm sharply and whispered look just on the outermost verge of the dim circle i could detect a human figure creeping like a snake toward the rear corner of the tent shall we shoot wound him whispered the professor breathlessly no wait i answered look out for the other fellow we'll capture them both and take away their guns the words were scarce out of my mouth when there was a sort of mad rush and a struggle apparently close beside us followed by an agonized shriek we sprang to our feet in horror and at once set our little beacon ablaze there not twenty yards off beneath a tree lay a twitching human form upon his breast crouched the indian devil with his jaws buried in his throat with a cry we sprang to the rescue and the beast half cowed by the sudden blaze seemed at first disposed to slink off but changing its purpose it set its claws deeper into its prey and faced us with an angry snarl the grove all around was now as bright as day the professor rushed straight upon the beast but for himself turning at the moment to draw my sheath knife i caught sight of the other indian whom we had forgotten in the act of deliberately drawing a bead upon me he stood erect close by the tent his pig-eyed countenance lighted up by the red glare i had just time to drop flat upon the ground ere a report rang out and a bullet went splat into a tree trunk close above me i returned the shot at once from where i lay and my assailant fell without pausing to notice more i turned to my companion's assistance he had just fired one charge into the animal and then drawn his knife afraid to fire a second time lest his shot should strike the indian as i reached his side the indian devil sprang but the ball had struck a vital spot and snarling madly it fell together in a heap while again and yet again went the professor's knife between its shoulders right up to the hilt as the dead brute stiffened out its sinewy length we dragged it one side and made haste to examine its victim the poor wretch proved to be tobin and we found him stark dead his throat most hideously mangled and his neck broken sickened at the sight we turned away the other indian we found still lying where he had fallen with his right arm badly shattered by my heavy charge of buckshot after brightening up the fire we proceeded to dress his wounds 
at this work we had small skill and dawn broke before we got it accomplished then digging with our paddles a grave in a sandy spot on the shore we buried the indian devil's victim and set out with our sullen prisoner for the settlements paddling almost night and day we reached detour du lac and there we delivered up our captive to the combined cares of the doctor and the village constable as we afterwards learned the doctor's care proved effectual but that of the constable was so much less so that the villain escaped before he could be brought to justice truly you keep your good wine for the last stranion said ranolf can sam do as well i wonder inquired queerman no he can't said sam positively but he can give you something humorsome at least to relieve this tragic strain it's about a bear of course i'm very glad my bears hold out so well this story is called bruin's boxing match end of chapter nine part one